to 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism which, with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. It's Fiona. Hot mic. No. Cool. Okay. Everybody okay? We're packed in today. This is great. You guys look amazing. Uh, we are uh, continuing our Advent series. As you can see, we've given this uh, series the title, The Son of Man Came. Uh, we're basically looking at these, uh, these three instances where we're told why Jesus came, the Son of Man, into our world. Uh, so if you don't know by now, the, the Son of Man, that's a title referring to the Messiah, Jesus, as God in the flesh, this is the long-promised Savior who would come, be with His people, redeem them from their sins. Uh, I mean, the four Gospels are, are full of reasons why Jesus came, uh, but we're looking specifically at these, the Son of Man came uh, passages. Week one, we looked at Luke 19, verse 10, where Jesus says Himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So that's his primary reason for coming. It's a rescue mission. It's a search and rescue uh, mission. He's come to seek, to pursue, uh, to search out, and to find those whom he loves and are missing. Uh, but not just to find them. He's come to save them. He's come to uh, bring them salvation, to deliver them from the destruction that they're heading towards because of their sin. And he does that by taking that destruction upon himself. Uh, and who is it that he is seeking and saving uh, the lost, so not the righteous, not those who are morally put together at all. That's, that's not who he's come for. He's come for the outcast. He's come for the absolute moral failure. Every single one of us are, are in that group. 
verse two, uh, sorry, in week two, uh, we saw uh, not only why he came, but, but how he comes and pursues the, the lost, the, the moral uh, the moral failure. He he pursues them. He 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 bring he gets close to them to to uh, to extend this invitation of grace by eating and drinking. Uh, so chapter seven, verse thirty four of Luke um, through the Gospels is his primary way we see of doing evangelism, of doing discipleship, of befriending sinners. As he does it around a table, the Son of Man comes eating and drinking. He, he's not afraid of befriending these moral failures. He's not afraid of what it's going to do to his reputation. He's, he's happy to link his identity to prostitutes, like we saw last week. He's happy to link his identity with traitors, like we saw with Zacchaeus, with sinners like you and me. And, and for these final two weeks, um, we're going to unpack the, this last uh, Son of Man uh, passages. Uh, one verse we're going to take in two parts. Um, the verse we're unpacking is Mark chapter 10, verse 45 where Jesus tells his disciples, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm, I'm going to take us through the first part of that statement, kind of like put the, the, the ball in the tee, and then next week Alan's going to come and drive it all home for us. So um, let me pray for us and we'll begin to, to look at this Son of Man who serves. Um, Lord, we just thank you for uh, not leaving us in the dark. We thank you for not leaving us in our gloom, uh, in our hopelessness. Uh, you came close. You came all the way, drew near to us, pursued us uh, to bring us salvation, Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you, I pray you'd, you'd let us see the gospel again in a clear, uh, fresh way, maybe for the first time for some people. And would you uh, open our hearts let us see the gospel again. Let that increase our love for Jesus and change the way we live. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, hopefully you have your Bibles open uh, to Mark chapter 10. Um, like I said, we're going to unpack that statement that Jesus makes in verse 45. To do that, we're going to need to back up to verse 35 to give the kind of context of uh, 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 of, in which he's, he says this. So he's having a, a discussion with his disciples, and particularly here with uh, two of his disciples called James and John. Uh, James and John come to him with a question, a rather bold question. And James and John, they, they actually, Jesus has given them a, a nickname. He calls them the Sons of Thunder, um, which I think is an incredible nickname. We don't know exactly why, but um, I often don't think of the, the writer of of the Gospel of John as a son of thunder, do you? I, I normally think of him as uh, the disciple that Jesus loved. That's what he calls himself in the Gospel. And I think of him as the one who, who lays his head on Jesus' chest. Um, that's, that's, that's what I think of. But he's also called the son of thunder. And I think that's a good combination to have, right? Someone that has this, this gentleness, um, has this tenderness, intimacy to lay your head on your best friend's chest, uh, but also be called a son of thunder. Um, so these sons of thunder, uh, which have some like thunder-like qualities, they, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I don't know if that's the kind of thunderness coming out there, pretty bold. Um, and Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? 
And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, This cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or my left, that's not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. So James and John, they got uh, some things right. Well, they got one thing right, and they pretty much get everything else wrong. But they got one thing right. And what they got right is in verse 37, when they say that Jesus is destined for glory. And there's something very ordinary about Jesus, right? Like standing there in front of James and John, this was an ordinary looking man. Um, he, he was a man just like them. He got tired just like them. They walked a lot and he needed a good night's rest just like them. He woke up with bedhead just like them. That's one of the things I love most about the Christmas stories, the, the ordinariness of Emmanuel. This is God in the flesh, the humanity of Jesus. But, but James and John got this one thing right about this somewhat ordinary man, that someday, somehow, this man Jesus is going to be in glory. Verse 37, when you are sitting in your glory, Jesus. So someday he will triumph over every power. He will sit on the throne in all glory. They got that right. That's something that everyone in this room should consider. And, and, and get right, that, that Jesus is not just a great teacher. It, Jesus is not just an extraordinary moral teacher giving us the right way to live. He's the King of kings. He, he is God in the flesh, sent from heaven to be with His people, to redeem them, and He did that, but then He ascended to heaven, and He sits on the right hand of the Father, enthroned in all of glory forever. This is the one who in Isaiah 9 is given a kingdom. He's given this kingdom and he reigns with all justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And this is this kingdom that never ends. That's something that everyone needs to understand and get right. That Jesus is destined for glory. Have you considered that? How often do you consider that? Do you have that right? And here's how you can tell if you have that right or not. Um, if, you were, if I was to tell you that a certain company's stock is going to skyrocket, like this, this, this company on Monday, their stock is going to go through the roof, and um, you would buy that company's stock and none of its competitors, right? And there's a war going on. If, if you were to be listening to the radio and you heard there's a nuclear warhead coming straight for Belfast, and there's this one... Uh, uh, bunker that you will be safe if you go to that. That's exactly where you would go. You would not go to anyone's house. You would go to that bunker. You wouldn't go to any other building. And if you knew that Jesus is going to reign in glory in the end over every rival, then you would follow Jesus and not any of his rivals. If you, if you knew and believed that one day Jesus will reign over all, and that His is this everlasting kingdom of justice and righteousness. And the evil in this world will be cast out. And His enemies will be put under His feet. And there will be peace for those who follow Him. 
you would follow him. And James and John got that part right. Jesus would take his kingly seat in glory someday and rule the world. Nobody really believes that who isn't following Jesus. Do you have that right? James and John got that right, but they also got some things wrong. Um, they, they probably didn't understand what the cup and the baptism that Jesus was talking about in verse 38. What's this cup that Jesus is talking about? Verse 38, Jesus asked them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? What's that cup? We get the answer to that in Mark chapter 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, this is the night of Jesus' crucifixion. And he actually takes James and John and Peter with him into this garden. And they, uh, he, he takes them and he goes a little further in. He asks them to watch them. And Jesus falls on his knees and he pleads with the Father. He's, it's this really... Uh, agonizing moment. He's dripping sweats of, uh, of blood, and he asks the Father, he pleads with his Father, if there's any other way besides this gruesome crucifixion and this abandonment, would he please take that away? But these are the words he used in Mark 14, verse 36. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So that's the cup of suffering and death that he was about to endure. And this is the cup, it's the drinking of the pain and the suffering and the death that the Father had given him to drink. So what's he saying to James and John? He's saying, you want glory? You want to sit on my right and my left? Drink my cup. Suffer and die with me. What about the baptism are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And I, I don't think he's talking about his water baptism here. And Jesus already did that in the Jordan River. He did that to uh, identify himself with the people of God who will be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's happened already. So what's this baptism Jesus is referring to? In, in Luke chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus says this. He says, I have a baptism to undergo and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So, so what he's talking about there is the exact same thing. He's going to be immersed in suffering. He's going to be plunged into a baptismal pool of pain and blood. So with these two images, he's saying, James and John, sons of thunder, lovers of glory and power, you want to be in heaven you want to, to, to know the glory of the age that is to come and to triumph with me by my side? Drink my cup. Be baptized with my baptism. And in fact, he's saying, my pathway to glory and to kingship is through suffering and death. If you want that kind of honor that you are asking for, you must follow me into suffering and into death. And they said, we will. We are able. And Jesus says, you will. The cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. That's the first part of the context. Following me so far? 
Good. The second part is the other ten disciples. Uh, they get angry at James and John when they heard all of this. Why are they angry? And the, verse 14 says they begin to be indignant with James and John. They weren't angry at James and John because, hey, James and John, that's not what this kingdom's about. You shouldn't be asking those kinds of questions. They're angry because they wanted the exact same thing. They were concerned with the seat of glory. They're indignant because this is what we are after too. Jesus has only one seat on His left, one seat on His right. Where are we going to sit? What about the rest of us? Don't we deserve a seat in glory? And the reason we know that this is the motivation for their anger is because of how Jesus responds to them. He turns and He basically says the exact same thing to them. They needed the same lesson as James and John Verse 44, they're indignant with James and John, so Jesus calls them all around, and He says in verse 42, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and and the great men exercise authority over them. That's what it looks like to be at the top. Verse 43, but it is not so among you. It is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first, that's what James and John are after, shall be the slave of all. He says exactly the same thing that he said to the two, he says to the ten. He says to the two, if you want glory, if you want to be great with me by my side, if you want seat number one and seat number two, drink my cup. Prepare for suffering in the service of the world. To the ten, he says, you want to be great? Be a servant. You want the seed of honor and glory? Then be the slave of everybody in the world. What does that mean, to be the slave of all? The next verse, our main text, verse 45, explains what that means. You must be slave of all, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. That last bit's the cup, right? That's the suffering. So again, He's saying to the ten what He said to the two, you want glory? Drink My cup. You want to be first? Be a servant who gives His life. That's the context of verse 45. We'll spend the rest of the next two weeks essentially unpacking that. Let me be as clearly as I can about this first part. What you have so far, it's it's part of a call to radical discipleship, right? This is part of a call to radical discipleship. If you want to follow me, If you want to be part of my kingdom, if you want to receive the glory in this kingdom, be prepared to suffer. That's that's the way that I go, and you will follow me the same way. Jesus is not saying, I don't take the hard road while you take the easy road. A lot of people have that theology of suffering. They, They say, Jesus suffered so that I won't have to suffer. 
Hey, he paid the penalty of my sin, yes, but he also takes away my hardship, right? The suffering in my life. My life is meant to be good now because I follow Jesus, right? My life is meant to be a little bit easier at least because I follow Jesus, right? Wrong. That is not the message of the gospel. That, that, that's not even close to what Jesus taught. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, the road that leads to life is hard, and few there will be that will find it. He says we, we, we walk the same road. He taught in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, he who would come after me must deny himself and take up his, what? His cross and follow me. The way to glory is by the path of suffering. Is that your understanding of Christianity? Christianity is not the easy way to heaven. The gospel of Jesus is not, hey, here's a free ticket to glory. It's not Jesus saying, hey, simply place your faith in me and then it's smooth sailing to heaven. No, the way is hard. It's the way of suffering. It's the way of service. It's the way of the cross if you're going to follow Jesus. And our young church, I think we've always had a pretty good theology of suffering, but I'm more convinced than ever that it's incredibly important for us to get this right. Because look around the room, um, not a lot of gray hair, a little bit, a little bit more of me. We have a young congregation. We've done far many more weddings than we've done funerals. But that will change. Uh, your young marriages are going to get harder. Some of you are going to lose jobs. And that's just the suffering that's going to come because of life, right? Put on top of that the suffering that you will endure because you are a follower of Jesus. The way of Jesus, it's not the easy road. It's hard. Drink my cup. Some of you are thinking... Well, Merry Christmas, John. <laughs> oh, I thought this was good news. Christmas is good news, right? Um, hang in there because included in this passage is the best news. The, the reason this is such good news is because in this passage, we don't just get a demand from Jesus. We also get the gospel. Don't just stop at the demand. This radical call to discipleship, this call to come and drink the cup of suffering and service, you must continue to the gospel. And that's exactly what verse 45 does for us. Verse 45, it's vastly more than just an example for the way of life in, 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 the, in God's kingdom. I think I've always read it as that. Here's the example of the way of Jesus. It is that. Okay, it is Jesus giving us, being for us, 
the example of how to suffer and to serve, okay? And there's plenty other passages in the gospel that do, us, that, do that for us too. John 13, right? Jesus takes up the role of the servant for His disciples. He washes their feet. He is this example of this way of life, certainly. That's, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it looks like to be one of my disciples. This is Christianity. But verse 45 is so much more than just an example. It's not just a demand. It's the gospel. It's not just a demand. It's also a promise. What does verse 45 say? For the Son of Man came not to be served. Did you hear that? This radical call to discipleship. This call to drink the cup of suffering and service. This call, as we looked at last week, to radically generous hospitality. To, 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 to open up your homes in service to others. To not view your life as your own anymore. To not view your stuff, your home, as your own anymore. But to lay down your life to the point that it hurts. To the point that it costs you something. To the point possibly of dying Listen to me, that call to radical discipleship, that, that call to serve, is, that call is not a call to serve Jesus, but it's a call to be served by Jesus as we serve others and to be ransomed by Him from death. Let me say it again. This is not a call to serve Jesus, but a call to be served by Jesus as we serve others and to be ransomed by Him from death. The Son of Man came not to be served. In all of your serving of the marginalized, of the outcast, of the lost, of the sinner, Jesus says, you may not serve me. Anyone feel uncomfortable yet? You feel a little weird? That's what the gospel does. Because this is actually starting to sound more like the gospel, doesn't it? This sounds more like Christmas to me. This sounds more like an incredible gift. Because when it comes to getting to heaven, when it comes to getting to glory, the whole world thinks about serving God. Serve God as a way to earn His favor. How can we work for Him? How can we get Him on our side? And Jesus says, look, I've given you a call to discipleship that is so incredibly difficult that if you think of it in terms of earning my favor, you are doomed. You will never make it. And you've got to understand this. You've got to get this the right way around. I have come to serve you. That's Christmas. I'm coming to serve you. One pastor said this, the gospel is not a help wanted sign. It's a help available sign. And Jesus is saying, do you think you can drink my cup without my help? Do you think you can be baptized with my baptism? Do, do you know what it costs to be a Christian? Do you think you can live out this radical call of discipleship? Do you think you can serve the world in this way? 
opening your homes, not just to people you enjoy being with, but those who wind you up, those who you'd rather not eat with, those people who are constantly taking and taking and never giving back. Jesus is asking, can you keep doing that until I come again without my help? Without me serving you? No. What other scripture does this sound like? Um, Jesus says something several other places, but somewhere else that's familiar to us that completely reinforces this. Turn in your Bibles to John 15. John 15, Jesus is having another discussion with His disciples. And he says this in verse 5. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, say it with me, church, nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He who will not let me, with all my riches, with all my power, serve him in his needs and satisfy his longings and rescue her from her troubles, she can do nothing. You see, the gospel of Mark chapter 10 verse 45 and John 15 5 are the same gospel message. Unless you abide in the vine, you can do nothing. Unless you let me be your servant in my relationship with you, you can do nothing. Abiding in the vine and being served by Jesus are the same reality. And it's the only way, it's the only hope of being able to live out this call of radical discipleship. It's the only way to successfully walk this difficult road of suffering and service. It's the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God. It's not an easy life. It's, it's really hard. It's a life of service. It's a life of pouring yourself out for others. But you'll only be able to do it by letting Jesus serve you, by abiding in Him always, by resting in Him, by receiving from Him moment by moment. It's a life of prayer. It's a life of dependence, of asking Him constantly for help, for His power. That's the only way. And it's important to understand this and to get this right, isn't it? In all of your service, church, in all of the ways that you turn up and help and serve the guys downstairs serving kids again when they barely got here because their kids were nuts. You've come early, set up sound, serve communion. In your, your life in your homes, your life of hospitality, 
when you open your doors again for your neighbor for a meal and they stay longer than expected and all you can think about is how early you need to get up in the next morning, but you continue to listen to their stories, you continue to smile, you offer them another cup of tea. Listen, not a single one of those acts of service earns you anything from God. Jesus says, get rid of that mindset. I'm coming here as a God servant, the one who is not served but serves, which is exactly what He says in Acts Acts 17, 25 says, God is not served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. This is the glorious message of the gospel, isn't it? This is the glorious message of Christmas. This is the very opposite message that every religious leader has ever brought to the world. This is not just another teacher with some rules to live by, gathering some radical disciples to live the way that he lives and to stir up a revolution. This is a man, much more than a man, a God-man, telling his disciples that he comes into the world to serve them. He does not want them to serve Him. He will lay down His life for them so that they can be ransomed from sin and death. This is unheard of. Yes, the way of Jesus is difficult. It will involve hardship. It involves sacrifice. It's not a comfortable way of life. Hear Him say that to His disciples in Mark chapter 10. But don't mistake what he says in verse 45. He's not simply saying, see, serve the way that I serve. This is the Son of Man serving me, ransoming me from my sin and my death, refusing to be served by me, insisting on being the servant and the Savior of my life. Isn't that incredible? What a Savior is this? If if the way to glory is by the path of suffering, what hope does He give me in this drinking this cup of service and sacrifice? It, It will not be by us trying hard enough. It will be by letting Him serve us and give us exactly what we need to remain faithful on this hard road to glory. To put it all together, okay, what we're doing in this Advent series is we're looking at the reasons the Son of Man came into the world. And Jesus is saying, Christmas means the Son of Man comes, and when He comes, He demands something, but He also promises something. Okay? So He's God in the flesh. He comes with some demands. He demands your life all of it. He demands that you take on this lifestyle of self-sacrifice for the sake of others. That's Luke 14, 33. Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's pretty clear. But what does that mean? It means in order to be a disciple of Jesus, you cannot hold on to anything tighter than you hold on to Jesus. You cannot love and value anything more than Jesus. 
It means that your life is no longer your own. It's, it's no longer centered on serving yourself. It's now for serving others. He demands your entire life. That's hard, isn't it? If you're being honest, the answer is yes. It's incredibly hard. I don't know if I can do that. In fact, it's impossible. And that's exactly what Jesus says to His disciples before this. In Mark 10, 27, they ask Him, who then can be saved? And He said, well, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. It's impossible to drink the cup of suffering. It's impossible to become everybody's servant unless... Unless, that's what verse 45 is, it's this, it's this great unless, unless the Son of Man is serving you day and night. John Piper says, Mark 10.45 is what turns Christianity into gospel. If Christianity were only a great and radical teacher calling for, se- calling for the self, sorry, if Christianity were only a great and radical teacher calling for the sacrificial obedience of radical disciples, it would not be good news. It would just be another ideology, another philosophy, another moral improvement program. If Christmas only meant that a man appeared on the scene of history to call others to be servants, it would not be good news. Right? Deep down, we all know intuitively that we should be loving and serving and sacrificing, right? Rather than boasting and seeking status in the world, lording it over all of others. Ask anybody in the world and you'll, they'll tell you, yeah, you should be doing this instead of this. Like, we don't need a Messiah to tell us that. What we need is salvation from guilt, death, and hell. What we need is power to drink the cup of suffering and the path of service. We don't need another religious leader simply saying, follow me. What we need is someone who can forgive our sins and ransom us from guilt and death and the wrath of God and who can give us a new life with the power to die for each other in the service of love. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Mark 10.45 is all about. Jesus is not just another teacher, another philosopher, another politician, another mystic. He comes to do two things. One, to give his life as a ransom for many. Alan's going to unpack that next week. And he comes secondly to serve his disciples, to serve all of those who will stop trying to earn his approval by serving him and will humble themselves like little children and let him serve them. This is the help we need and the power we need. He is our redeemer from guilt and death and hell. He is our helper day in and day out as He serves us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we dedicated those two babies this morning. And if if they were able to speak and they said, listen, parents, let me serve you. You know what would happen? They would die. They, they need their parents to serve them, to give them what they need. And Jesus is saying, be like those children. 
Just rest in me. Let me serve you. Let me care for you. Let me give you exactly what you need. I'll give you the power to help you serve others. I'll, I'll help you to walk this path of suffering and service. That's Psalm 23, isn't it? You, you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'll be there by your side, comforting you, preparing a feast in the presence of your enemies, following you home with goodness and mercy. I'll serve you. It's nearly Christmas. Would you open your heart and receive the best Christmas present imaginable? Just Jesus giving himself to die for you and to serve you for all of eternity. Receive that. Turn away from self-help. Turn away from sin and rest in Him. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. And Father, we thank you and for not leaving this up to us. We thank you for not um, putting it in our hands um, to find the solution, to, to find the way, to claw our way into your favor. You do the opposite and you come and you seek us out, you find us. And you simply invite us to be served by you. To, to put our faith in you, Jesus, and what you've done for us, and just allow you to give us the power that we need to follow after you. The way is hard, and the, the road is, is difficult. You promised that. You didn't promise a comfort, comfortable life, you promised a difficult road. But you, almost pro you also promised you're going to help us with everything that we need. Lord, may we be a church, may we be a, a, a children of God, this family, who depend wholly on you. Coming to you in prayer moment by moment, abiding in you moment by moment. Coming to you for help in our time of need. Lord, I pray for those who uh, have, have never even heard that offer of grace. Um, Lord, may we, Lord, Lord, may they have open eyes, um, soft hearts. Uh, that receiving grace is really difficult um, because it's it's humiliating. It takes acknowledging that I can do nothing but 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 accept your help, accept your grace. And in our culture, we don't like being the charity. We like giving the charity. We don't like being the charity. And would you humble hearts this morning, Lord? Or may those who maybe have never received that gift of grace, that gift of help, receive that this morning.
pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.